Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Story time. I've always been a pragmatic man. I didn't believe in... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Tales spun around campfires, or the whispers of shadows that live in the corners of one's eyes. I was a straightforward guy, a military man who enjoyed a good beer and didn't bother much with the supernatural. I was from Spain, but had moved to the States as a kid. I went to high school here, joined the military, and ended up stationed near the border. My Spanish came in handy, and I would often cross the border into Mexico. It was in Mexico that I met her, the woman who would become my wife. Back then, she was just my girlfriend, a beautiful enigma who I was just beginning to unravel. Her father was an enigmatic man himself, a drafting teacher at a local college and a firm believer in the paranormal. I thought he was crazy, with his talks about UFOs and death. But he asked me one day if I believed in death. I told him we were all going to die. He clarified, no, the actual Grim Reaper. Do you believe in it? I laughed it off, 
thinking he was just trying to rattle me. But he was serious. My girlfriend, now my wife, was quiet as her father asked me what I would think if he showed me a picture of death itself, the Grim Reaper. I didn't know what to make of it. My girlfriend just smiled at me, her mother chimed in from the kitchen, and I was sitting there, in a foreign country, with people I barely knew, thinking I was caught in some bizarre horror film. He offered to show me the picture, and despite my growing apprehension, I agreed. He returned with pictures, postcard sized and flipped over. He began to explain how these pictures came into his possession. A friend of his, who owned a camera shop, had called him urgently one day. A man had brought in a picture of his brother on his deathbed, taken in the 40s or 50s. He wanted the picture restored, and when the picture was blown up during the restoration process, the Grim Reaper was visible at the foot of the bed. My heart pounded in my chest as he finally flipped the pictures over. What I saw was just as he described. The man lying on the bed, the flowers by his side, and there at the foot of his bed was the figure. A dark robe with no connection to the ground, skeletal fingers clutching a stick, a skull peeking out from beneath a hood, and the stick topped with a sickle. I felt a chill run down my spine, my blood turned to ice, and I had to look away. I couldn't sleep for days after that. I was stationed in a barracks on a base, and every time I closed my eyes, I saw the picture. My friends noticed my unrest, and when I told them the story, they didn't believe me. I even invited some of them over to Mexico to see the picture, and they were as shaken as I was. To this day, I can't forget that picture, and I haven't seen it since. The Grim Reaper was real to me in that moment, as real as the picture that I held in my hands. I had been a skeptic, but that experience shook me to my core. It was a window into a world that I had chosen to ignore, a world that was as real as the one I lived in. It was a chilling reminder of our mortality, and it was a memory that would haunt me for the rest of my life. My friends and I decided to meet up for a casual chat in the park one afternoon. We were strolling through the woods, enjoying the fresh air and the sounds of nature when we came across some abandoned toilets. At first, we didn't think much of it. It was just another sign of urban decay, a forgotten structure lost in the midst of the woods. However, as we walked around to the back of the toilets, we saw something that made our hearts stop. Through the blurry glass, we could see what looked like a figure, an arm, and a hand dangling in the air. It appeared as if someone had hanged themselves, or worse, been hanged. It was a terrifying sight, one that instantly filled us with fear. We stood frozen in shock for a moment before deciding we needed a second opinion. We didn't want to jump to conclusions, but we couldn't ignore what we were seeing either. Spotting a passerby, we quickly called him over and asked him to take a look. We wanted to confirm if we were just hallucinating or if there was genuinely something there. To our growing horror, he saw the same thing. His daughter, who had been trailing behind him, also saw the same chilling sight. At their suggestion, we decided to report the matter to the police. The seriousness of the situation was sinking in, and we knew we needed to act responsibly. We quickly made our way to the local police station, where we gave them our details and explained the situation. They assured us they would send an officer to the location as soon as possible. As we left the police station, we couldn't shake off the eerie feeling. We had gone out for a simple meet-up, a walk in the park, and ended up stumbling upon something so chilling. The image was burnt into our minds, and the fear was still palpable. I promise to keep everyone updated as soon as we hear back from the police. We can only hope now that it's not what we fear it is. It was a typically quiet morning when I got a call from Jeannie, a resident who lived about 30 miles up DL Boulevard. I've known Jeannie for years. We grew up together in the same small town, and she's always been the type to keep to herself. So when I heard her voice trembling over the phone, I knew something was wrong. Something's been here, in my driveway, she stammered, her voice shaky. A huge footprint. 
In the mud. My brows furrowed in confusion. A footprint, Jeannie? I echoed, trying to comprehend what she was saying. Yes, it's. It's massive. I ain't seen anything like it before. I assured her I would be there soon and quickly set off in my truck, driving the familiar route up DL Boulevard. As I turned up Boundary Road, my mind raced with possibilities. Could it be a bear? But Jeannie's house was a fair distance from the forest's edge. Perhaps some pranksters trying to give her a scare? Pulling up the driveway, I saw Jeannie standing there, her face pale and her eyes wide with fear. She led me to the footprint, and my heart skipped a beat. There, embedded in the mud, was an enormous footprint. It was much larger than any human foot, and it had a peculiar shape that was distinctly non-human. The toes were long and had sharp, claw-like protrusions at the tips. The heel was broader than any creature's foot I had seen. I knelt down beside it, my mind racing. I had been working as a park ranger for over 10 years, and I had seen all sorts of animal tracks. But this, this was different. This was something I had never seen before. As I traced my fingers over the imprint, I felt a shiver run down my spine. Whatever had left this footprint was huge, and potentially dangerous. It was my duty to find out what it was and ensure the safety of the residents. In the following days, I led a team of experts to examine the footprint. We cast a plaster mold of it, hoping to identify the creature that had wandered so close to human habitation. We searched the nearby woods, looking for any signs of this unknown creature, but all we found were more questions. The footprint became a local mystery. Some said it was a hoax, others believed it was a creature from local legends. But for me, it was a reminder of the unknown that still exists in our world, a mystery that I am yet to solve. Every day, as I patrol the woods, I keep my eyes open, wondering if I'll come across another such footprint, hoping that one day I'll come face to face with the creature that left it behind. This story was told to me by my uncle, who happens to be a park ranger in Ontario. He frequently comments on how calm his work has been after pandemic, with fewer tourists visiting. However, there are still instances where he has to venture into the wilderness to check on things. One day, he had to navigate through the woods with a colleague due to reports of unauthorized individuals in the area. These reports were not uncommon, usually involving mean-spirited teenagers causing trouble. However, what made these reports peculiar was the description of people carrying unusual items like axes and animal skulls. It was just weird stuff, and my uncle knew that people could be pretty racist in those parts. Speculations arose that these individuals could be Algonquin people, as the park was situated on their land. The thought of unhinged people worshipping Odin in the cold wilderness of modern-day Canada seemed far-fetched, but my uncle couldn't ignore the strange occurrences. As they ventured deeper into the wilderness, they discovered odd symbols carved into tree trunks, remnants of trash, and markings on the ground. It appeared that people had been actively camping in restricted areas. However, despite their efforts, my uncle and his colleague never encountered any campers during their patrols. But there were always weird things left behind, like a cape, a helmet, and even a real sword, as if someone had been indulging in Nordic cult practices. There were also traces of incense and other religious paraphernalia. These findings only added to the mystery surrounding the area. One night, my uncle and his colleague decided to set up camp near a massive elm tree for shelter against the frigid winds that plagued the nights. They enjoyed a meal of heated beans and rice while exchanging stories. They maintained communication with a portable radio to stay connected with the base. At one point, my uncle excused himself to relieve himself in the woods while his colleague remained by the fire. As minutes passed, my uncle realized that his colleague hadn't returned. Concerned, he called out for him, but there was no response. The atmosphere in the woods had become eerily quiet, devoid of the usual sounds of the night. A faint whisper caught my uncle's attention from his right side. He strained to listen and moved in that direction, 
guided by the weak voice. It sounded like his colleague, but something felt off. The woods seemed too calm and quiet, giving my uncle an unsettling feeling. He called out to the voice, growing stronger as he ventured deeper into the wilderness. Then, he heard his colleague's voice, calling for help. However, my uncle sensed that something wasn't right. The tone and modulation of the voice didn't match his colleague's usual manner of speaking. It was an instinctual feeling that urged my uncle to proceed with caution. Armed with his rifle and flashlight, my uncle scanned the area, searching for any sign of his colleague. Instead, he came face to face with an unimaginable sight. Standing about four or five meters away, in a small clearing surrounded by tall trees, was a tall, genderless figure. Its thin frame and moose skull-like head with antlers made it clear that this being was not of this world. The creature moved closer, emitting distorted and crackly sounds that mimicked his colleague's voice. Fearing for his safety, my uncle fired a warning shot into the air before turning and running as fast as he could. The unearthly noise that followed him was unlike anything human. My uncle ran until he realized he was lost in the dark wilderness. He had to wait for daylight to find his way back to the trail, relying only on his dying flashlight. When he finally reunited with his colleague, John, it became apparent that John had experienced a similarly unsettling night. When my uncle returned to the campsite, nobody was there. John had heard my uncle's calls during the night and had also encountered strange noises that he couldn't quite comprehend. Concerned for my uncle's well-being, he waited anxiously for his return. In the morning, my uncle emerged from the wilderness, exhausted and disoriented. He recounted the events of the previous night to John, who listened intently, his worry growing with each passing word. They both believed that what they had encountered was something supernatural, possibly a windigo. Although my uncle was not particularly religious or inclined to believe in such things, he understood the importance of respecting the rules of the wild. In the depths of the wilderness, where the line between reality and the unknown blurs, he realized that there are forces beyond our comprehension. From that day forward, my uncle and John never spoke of their encounter to anyone else. They carried the weight of that experience, knowing that some things are better left unexplained. The incident served as a reminder of the mysteries that dwell in the depths of the wilderness, hidden from the prying eyes of ordinary life. Even now, as time has passed, my uncle remains haunted by that encounter. The memory lingers, a constant reminder that there are realms and creatures beyond our understanding. It has changed him, instilling in him a deeper respect for the unknown and a sense of awe for the vastness of the natural world. Though their story may seem unbelievable to some, those who have ventured deep into the wilderness understand that there are things out there that defy explanation. My uncle and John carry their experience as a testament to the mysterious and uncharted aspects of our existence, forever changed by their encounter with the supernatural. I'm going to remain anonymous for this. But, I had a signing of something that I can't explain in 2011 springtime. During the time, I was working as a police officer for a small town in northwestern Oklahoma. What made me take an interest in this particular case was the description given to me by the witness. It sounded just like how other witnesses have described other abnormals to include Sasquatch. I had one individual coming to the department as they were reporting what they thought they saw. It appeared to be a man with long black hair, no shirt or clothes, standing near their pond at about one o'clock in the morning. Apparently, it looks like they were holding a knife or some sort of weapon. As he noticed them looking out their window, he began walking into the wood line, disappearing from view. Nonetheless, never returning only after several attempts of trying to find him by the reporting party. I'm not sure what he had actually had in his hand. I never asked him a description of it specifically. But, I began to do some research on my own. I came across several websites dedicated to Bigfoot sightings where individuals could almost describe perfectly with many others what they had seen. In my years as an officer before retiring from law enforcement, 
I've come across multiple reports of unusual creatures being seen all throughout Oklahoma as well as neighboring states. In fact, just last year alone, I had another retired law enforcement officer tell me all about an experience that their own individual mother-in-law had while she lived out on a farm near Elk City. She told him about a time she had gone out to her chicken coop and had a face-to-face -face encounter with a small monkey-type animal standing on two feet without hair. It looked like it was wearing pants. It began making loud sounds before running away. It appeared as if it had jumped over multiple fences only to disappear into the tree line. I also know that many people have reported seeing humanoid creatures looking similar to how Bigfoot looked and how Bigfoot is described. All through various areas all around Elk City, Shawnee as well, and even the town I grew up in, Guthrie. Where witnesses and victims claim these creatures prey on livestock, chickens, goats, pigs, everything. This is also not the only time I've received reports involving unusual creatures that match what has been described by the witness to include Bigfoot or Sasquatch. I'm sure these things happen all the time throughout the US and even other countries throughout the world. However, I'm most familiar with Oklahoma and it appears to be designated for many areas of things like this. I really doubt a lot of these stories are made up. If you got a chance to sit down and talk to these witnesses, they're terrified. Something is happening here. What could these creatures be? How does somebody prove their existence without anyone ever actually catching one? Do they really exist in different forms? The Smoky Mountains National Park felt like a universe away from the concrete jungle of New York City that I'd always called home. The air was cleaner, the quiet more profound, and the sheer expanse of wilderness was mind-boggling. Ancient trees, like sentinels, stood tall, their leaves whispering secrets of centuries in the wind. The forest floor was a symphony of life, crackling underfoot with every step I took. My name is Rebecca Miles, though everyone calls me Becky. I was assigned to this park as a part of my community service sentence for a minor infraction. My task was simple, to monitor the illegal logging activities that had recently spiked in the area. But the reality of it was far more complex, and soon I found myself entangled in a web of events that felt straight out of a science fiction novel. It started with strange sightings, rumors whispered among the locals about a creature that resembled the mythical Sasquatch. I brushed it off as local folklore until one evening when I crossed paths with the unimaginable. There it stood, a hulking figure, covered in thick fur, with eyes that held an uncanny intelligence. The encounter was brief and terrifying. It disappeared into the forest, leaving me with a racing heart and a newfound realization. The Sasquatch was real. The situation escalated when the creature, or creatures, as it seemed there was more than one, started to show signs of aggressive behavior. Reports poured in about sightings near local communities, of livestock missing, and of an inexplicable fear among the residents. It dawned on me that the Sasquatch, like the other animals in the park, were losing their habitats due to the illegal logging. I was faced with a challenge unlike any other. Not only did I have to expose the illegal loggers, but I also had to pacify the Sasquatch and find a way to restore their habitats. The days turned into a blur of tracking the loggers, collecting evidence, and studying the patterns of the Sasquatch. The task was perilous, and many a time, I found myself narrowly escaping danger. Finally, Armed with enough evidence, I reached out to the police. They were skeptical at first, but the undeniable proof made them swing into action. The illegal logging operation was busted, and a plan was put in place to restore the damaged parts of the forest. The Sasquatch, however, was a more complex problem. With the help of local experts, we managed to locate and confront the aggressive Sasquatch. The encounter was terrifying and intense. It ended with the Sasquatch's death, a resolution I was not entirely comfortable with, but was deemed necessary for the safety of the local communities. The police, while grateful for my help, made it clear that the existence of the Sasquatch was to remain a secret. 
They threatened me with serious consequences if word got out about our discovery. As I returned to my small cabin in the heart of the forest that night, I couldn't help but feel a sense of loss. I had entered this park a city girl with a punishment to serve, but I was leaving with a profound respect for the wilderness and its secrets. Here's what happened. I was at work one day when my coworker started talking about a strange creature he had seen. Curiosity peaked, I asked him to describe the creature in detail. As he told me about it, I couldn't help but think it sounded familiar. I pulled up a picture of the Mothman on my phone and showed it to him, asking if the creature he saw looked anything like that. To my surprise, he said it did. Intrigued, I asked him to contact his friends who had been with him during the sighting and show them the picture as well. They all separately confirmed that what they saw looked exactly like the Mothman. My coworker then recounted the entire story, two years ago, in the city of Wilmington, California, near a massive ARCO refinery, my co-worker and three of his friends were hanging out in his backyard at around 2 AM. One of them happened to look up and spotted a winged creature flying above them. He said it didn't do anything out of the ordinary, but it circled their group about five times before heading north toward the city of Torrance, where the Los Angeles International Airport is located. He added that they saw the creature again later that night, at around 4.35 am. This time, it repeated its circling behavior but only went around them two or three times before flying off towards the city of Long Beach. They never saw the creature again after that. My coworker then mentioned that he thought he might have seen the Mothman again a week later, but he wasn't entirely sure, so he didn't provide any further details. The story left me feeling both fascinated and uneasy. The Mothman, a creature of urban legend, had always been something I read about but never truly believed in. However, hearing my co-worker's account and the corroborations from his friends, I couldn't help but wonder if there was some truth to the legend. What was this winged creature that had appeared in Wilmington, and why was it circling my co-worker and his friends? I found myself looking up into the sky more often, scanning the horizon for any sign of the mysterious creature. The possibility that the Mothman was real sent a shiver down my spine, and I couldn't help but feel that the world was filled with more mysteries than I could ever truly comprehend. I want to share my story. Approximately five years ago I was driving home from my job as a correctional officer at Cook County Jail in Chicago, Illinois. My shift ended at 11 p.m. and it took me approximately 35-45 minutes to drive home from work. As I always did, I would call my wife and let her know I was safe from my shift and typically she would keep me company on my Bluetooth while I drove home. Every night when I drove home I took Midlothian Turnpike, a few blocks out the exit of the expressway. Midlothian Turnpike will also lead you to the location of Bachelors Grove Cemetery, Please research Bachelors Grove Cemetery. As I drove past Bachelors Grove Cemetery, a figure which I can only describe as a pterodactyl flew over across my car and across the road into the woods on the other side of the street. I screamed, as I thought I was going to hit something. My wife is still on the phone now yelling asking me what is going on and if I was okay. I had to get my bearings together but I was so scared. I thought about stopping at the gas station ahead but I knew I was close to home. When I got home we got a good laugh about it. Two days ago I told this story to my boss. He asked if I knew what what Mothman was? I heard of it but wasn't familiar on its stories. When I look back now, many things happen that I believe may have been a result of my encounter. I probably won't talk about this again as I don't expect anyone to believe me and I don't want to feed it any energy to come back. Thank you for being open-minded. If any ohm here would like to know more or know someone who may want this info please message me here. Me, my uncle and my cousins went to this site to hunt deer. We lined up six abreast on the far side of the trench to push any deer out. As we walked along, I inadvertently got forced down into the trench. 
I then kept with the direction of the trench. After a short time I smelled something, it smelled like some stinking animal. Then I heard it running back and forth as if frantically looking for something. I could tell by the sound it was two-legged. I could feel the ground shake, like when a herd of elk gets spooked. At this point I hear a tree maybe 6 to 10 inches on the stump come crashing to the ground behind me. At this point I made extreme haste for the walls of the trench. Pulling on vines I made my way out and straight for our vehicles. I did not linger at the trench for further investigation. From all of my experience in the woods I can with full confidence say what I encountered was not a bear and was definitely two-legged. Hiking with a companion and two German shepherds around 9 am in the Rogumpqua wilderness. Saw a large brown object moving fast through the understory, which was quite thick. Dogs chased the object, both dogs had saddle packs, one dog had a tarp which was securely rolled and tied on the middle of his back. Dogs were gone about 3-5 to five minutes and came running back. One dog which had the tarp on returned and continued to run past us and ended up at the shelter, about one mile back where we had stayed the night and was extremely scared. The other older dog stopped when encountering us and listened when we told it to stop but was also very scared. Several things were unusual, the intense musty smell, something like a bull elk in heat but not or not like a bear either. The dogs fear as they have chased bears, coyotes, deer, elk and are never scared upon return. The tallness of the object as it was way too tall for a bear or elk. Too quiet for an elk also. The untied tarp which was securely tied but upon return of the chase the tarp was tied but just one knot. I tie good knots. It's important to the story to know that I was basically a huge jerk leading up to what happened. See, I'm a graduate student and I was at this point about 6 to 8 months into a new relationship with a woman named Sarah. If it matters, I am female and we were both around 30 at this time, the prior year, before I met Sarah, my best bud from school Josh and I had gone on a great camping slash road trip over spring break. This year, I messed up and basically double booked myself to go camping with Josh and with my girlfriend because I am a scatterbrained idiot and I got confused about what plans had been discussed slash solidified. Both Josh and Sarah were justifiably really pissed off and hurt, but I had made the plan with my girlfriend first, ultimately, so I had to flake on Joshua when it came time to planning. Sarah and I picked a campground in southwestern Pennsylvania with lots of good hiking. It's at least a 5 hour drive from where we live. We made reservations and I mentioned the plan to Joshua well, it turns out, of all the campgrounds in the region, Josh had also decided to head to that one as it connected to a long bike trail he wanted to go on. He had decided to go camping alone, so we knew Josh would be at the campground before we got there, but things were super awkward between me and him, on account of my being an asshole and him being generally a bit depressed around that time. We stayed three nights and Josh was there for the first and second night. We'd rented out a small cabin, basically a prefab shed with bunk beds, because it was cheap and we have a leash reactive, wimpy about rain dog and it's sometimes easier that way. Josh was tent camping in another spot. I think Josh and I were mostly planning on avoiding each other, he was rightfully still angry, things were awkward and I figured he needed some space from me but it turned out only one bathroom was open on our side of the campground, since it was only early April and most of the campground was still closed down for the season. Josh's campsite was right next to the open bathroom, so we ended up seeing him when we walked to the bathroom at night. I saw slash heard signs of one or two other groups on the far side of the campground, but they had their own bathroom open over there and we never really saw them. It's a very large and forested campground and only small sections at either end were open for the season. The second night, Josh was out in his campsite when we came through to the bathroom before bed. It was after midnight at this point. Josh seemed super depressed and we had a very strange and awkward conversation with him, took care of what we needed to in the bathroom and headed back to our little shed, down the road. 
the roads in this part of the campground were basically like an inverted F, with the bathroom above the top of the F. In between the two arms of the F was a stand of trees next to the main road, a small, locked shower building and Josh's campsite, furthest from the main road, the main road being the vertical line of the F. We were staying off the main road further down on the opposite side. So that night we'd cut past Josh's camp to get to the bathroom but on the way back, we followed the road, so as not to bother him, as he seemed in a bad mood. It was dark and I'm easily spooked. We had the dog with us, which was somewhat reassuring, since he looks semi-tough, despite being a nutcase and a wimp. But I'm looking around nervously, and as I glance over my shoulder, I think I see a man off to the side of us. My brain processes this very slowly, as I just caught a glimpse of him as I turned my head, and it was very dark. I convinced myself my mind was playing tricks. I didn't look back and silently walked with Sarah and the dog back to our cabin. When we got back to the cabin, I thought Sarah looked a little sp- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Booked, which is unusual, since she's a lot braver than me. Eventually, she says, that guy was really creepy, right? So shit. He was real. I told her I saw him but had convinced myself my eyes were playing tricks on me. But no, we both saw someone with no flashlight standing in the trees just off the road, maybe 15 feet from us. I asked if it might have been Joshua neither of us were really convinced, but wanted to convince ourselves so we could get some sleep. And he had been wandering around being moody 15 minutes before, and it was right by his campsite. I think we didn't want to freak ourselves out any further, so we locked the cabin and didn't talk about it much more. The next morning it was pouring rain so Josh decided to pack up and leave early instead of spending the day in the area. We shouted goodbye to him as we headed to the bathroom and he ran around tossing shit in his trunk and trying not to get drenched. That night was a weekend and there was a big family in the cabin next to ours and everything felt far less spooky. But when we got back to town a day later, I texted Josh, asking him if he'd been lurking creepily in the woods. He said no. Well, I told him what we'd seen and he said he'd seen a guy the prior night lurking in the woods without a flashlight. Same general description, which I'll get to, same area. The guy had really creeped him out, so much so that the next day he bought the biggest maglite he could find, so he'd have more than just a pocket knife to defend himself but he'd also mostly convinced himself it was a park ranger. Yeah, with no flashlight, let alone a vehicle. But he more or less willed himself to believe it so he could get some sleep. So, once we could no longer pretend it was Josh, Sarah and I compared notes. What we both saw, and what Josh saw the night before, was this, a tall, gaunt white man in his late 40s, with clean-shaven sunken cheeks, in the stand of trees slash bramble just off the road, in the space between the arms of the F. He was wearing a raincoat, rubber boots and a hat, and had no flashlight. He was just standing still and staring coldly in our direction. I remember his raincoat, his sunken face and how very cold his gaze felt. In contrast, Josh is several inches shorter than whoever we saw, was not wearing a raincoat that night, which we knew because we'd just seen him but we convinced ourselves otherwise, bearded, 29 years old at the time, I should add, it wasn't raining. To be clear, where this guy was was not somewhere you'd be strolling through, it was a thick brambly area. He had made the effort to move out of the road and to stay in the shadows and away from the bright bathroom light, both nights. We're sure he wasn't going to the bathroom, though we were on the women's side, you can hear the men's side clearly and Josh had been outside in view of the bathroom doors both nights. He didn't look like he lived in the woods, which is to say, he appeared clean and groomed, 
and his clothes weren't worn or dirty. Whatever he may have been doing in the middle of the night in a nearly abandoned campground with no flashlight, he was clearly making an effort not to be seen. We all discussed it and Josh ultimately called the campground to let them know. They said they'd check it out. Although my camping fees were mysteriously refunded, we never heard anything more. Josh is still a little mad at me for seeing a potential murderer lurking the woods near his tent and not doing anything. Out of curiosity, we just checked to see if anything had happened in the park. A number of people have gone missing in the state park over the years, some slightly mysteriously. Most were found downriver and believed to have fallen into the rapids on accident. I'm sure it's unrelated, but the whole place gives me the creeps. And I still can't figure out what that man was doing. As Lorna, park ranger of the Green Lakes National Park, my days were usually filled with the routine tasks of patrolling and maintaining the park. But that particular evening was different. I had been off duty, indulging in a spot of elk hunting near the old growth, an area dense with towering trees that had seen centuries pass by. The sun was gently sinking, painting the sky in hues of orange and purple. It was my favorite time of the day in the park, a time when the hustle of the day eased, and the nocturnal orchestra started tuning up. The first scream pierced the peaceful dusk like a shard of glass. It was long, chilling, and unlike anything I'd ever heard in the park. My heart pounded in my chest as I tried to decipher the source. It sounded distant, past a clear cut some 200 yards away. I gripped my hunting rifle tighter, my senses on high alert. The second scream came, then the third, each roughly five to six seconds long and spaced out over a span of 10 minutes. The sounds were loud, almost deafening, echoing through the otherwise quiet forest. It felt as if the forest held its breath, the usual chirping of birds and rustling of leaves replaced by an eerie silence. What intrigued me was not just the volume or the frequency of the screams but the pattern. It was as if whatever was making the sound was trying to communicate. The screams had a certain rhythm to them, an odd cadence that sounded like a kitty. As a park ranger, I was familiar with the cries and calls of the park's wildlife, but this was something new, something foreign. Every instinct told me to retreat, to get to the safety of the ranger station, but my curiosity pushed me forward. I moved stealthily, my boots crunching softly against the forest floor. The screams had stopped, replaced by an unsettling silence. I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up, a primal part of me acknowledging the unknown. As I neared the source of the sound, I took a deep breath, preparing myself for whatever was out there. The twilight had given way to the moon's pale glow, casting long, ominous shadows between the trees. I squinted, trying to make out any movement. But the forest stood still, as if it were holding its breath. Then, just as I was about to turn back, I saw it. In the clearing, bathed in the moonlight, was a creature. It was unlike anything I had seen before, a being straight out of a folk tale. As our eyes met, it let out a scream, the same chilling ah kitty that had led me here. I held my breath, my grip on the rifle tightening. That night, I came face to face with the unknown, and it changed my perspective forever. The park was not just a job anymore, it was a land of mysteries waiting to be discovered, and I was its custodian. The experience I'd like to share with you happened in the summer of 2002. I was 20, still living at home in a rental in East Mesa, Arizona with my 18-year-old brother and my mother. As you may know, Arizona has a typically six-month-long scorching, dry summer climate, and being a transplant from beautiful Northern Cali it was hard for us to adapt. Anyhow, it was a hot summer night in late May or early June. My brother had just graduated high school and I was working full-time during the day. We spent our evening talking and laughing and playing music, it really was a memorably enjoyable night. At about 10.30 I noticed that the front porch light had again burned out, as it had been doing for about 18 months prior to that. In fact, 
Both of the lights over the driveway and three lights in our backyard were continually ceasing to function and it seemed I was always buying bulbs and expensive strobe light bulbs. I don't know if this is somehow connected to what happened next. First I must add that our front door was set back into the house with the garage protruding. Our front yard was much deeper than the backyard and was overshadowed by three velvet mesquite and a chinaberry tree, and various species of choya cacti. So the street light did little to penetrate the den of darkness. I turned the lamp light to my bedroom which was really an office nook right next to the front door, which had a large lattice picture window with run-of-the-mill blinds. I opened the blinds and the light flooded the wall of the garage. What I saw made my skin crawl. There on the stucco wall was something. It was only about 10 to 12 feet from where I was standing. The only way to describe it was that it looked like a giant headless moth. I called my brother over excitedly. I clearly remember our conversation. What do you suppose that is? I have no idea. It must be a bat of some sort. But we only have micro bats here in Arizona. And I have always heard that bats hang upside down. I guess it could be a giant moth. We do live in the desert. I thought moths were attracted to light. The lights are all burnt out again. We talked for a moment and stood next to the glass panes adjacent to the front door, the bedroom light illuminating all the while, and the thing did not stir or move. We decided it was about 18 inches to 2 feet long from blunt top to wing bottom. It was very clear yet very dark, almost black, and no antennae were visible. It hung on the wall like a moth but was about the size of a medium-sized fruit bat, which I believe only exists in Asia. It was about 5 or 6 feet off the ground. My mother came and had a look and shuddered and refused to stand near the door. We were both young and curious and my brother said let's go have a look at it then. We swung the door and security screen open and he took a step over the door jam. I was suddenly struck with an unreal, unearthly fear and grabbed his shoulder. He looked back at me and later said I had the most wholly terrified look on my face that he had ever seen. I am afraid and tingly even writing this. Without a word, he stepped back inside and we locked both doors and closed the blinds and camped out in the living room, only going to sleep after several thoughtful conversations. The very next morning at sunrise I went out to the wall with a tape measure and my brother and mom stood at the door and directed me as to where and how high and how long this thing had been planted. There was no trace of anything, the dust on the stucco looked the same all around, with no residue or anything. When they were both satisfied with the positioning I read the tape measure, 28 inches. My mother walked back into the house and has absolutely refused to speak of it since. My brother and I are both keenly interested in animal-slash-insect-slash-plant life via books, and media, and I have taken an MCC course in Southwest Biology, and neither of us has ever seen or heard of anything matching its description. My husband was raised here and said the only thing he could think of that size was an owl, but this was no owl. What was it? Perhaps it is a real animal we could not identify. Has someone had a similar experience or know what it could be? We are not exaggerating people, we are level-headed and analytical. Thank you for your time. On Thursday, May 4, 2023, between 6 to 7 p.m. in Snellville, Georgia. I was standing outside the police station and saw a shiny brown cigar-shaped object flying vertically northeast. It was moving smoothly and fast. I pulled my phone out and tried to get a video of it but it was hard to get it and had to look back at the sky. It was gone, as far as I know. What I could see was a large bird now flying around in circles. Later that night around 12 a.m. I was on the phone with a friend and the network cut off and was out for 30 minutes or so. It came back on and I was talking to my friend again and made the comment, either a UFO went by or a tower went down. Around 4 a.m. I got the feeling to lay in the bed and passed out immediately. I woke up at 8.35 a.m. and went to take a shower. I took my shirt off, which I was wearing when I fell asleep and had two sticky black circles on each side of my chest where my pecs meet my deltoids and collarbones. 
The shapes were round, 3 by 3 inches and the left one was a little smeared. It was sticky to the touch but wiped off easily with tissue, almost like it was dry and then I took a shower. I wanted to keep it but kept getting this subtle subconscious feeling not to and threw it away. Have you heard of anyone having a black residue left on their body? I've had many experiences starting in 1977 in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It was kind of creepy seeing the circles but I was calm about it. I think it was for my own good. They've made it clear they don't like it when I talk too much or what I talk about but I know the time is there when I should. I'm from a real small town in Florida called Wewahichka. It's in Gulf County, about 50 miles southwest of Tallahassee on the Panhandle. The area has lots of lakes and rivers. We lived on several acres in the middle of nowhere. We had dirt roads my whole childhood. At the time we had a single wide trailer. Lots of people in our community were complaining about an upright creature terrorizing them at night and stealing livestock and pets. My parents were city folks that moved into the area before I was born and opened a business so my parents told me it was just stories to scare us because we were outsiders. At the time when this happened, I was 14 years old and I had a younger brother that was 5 years old. One night in October 2004 my dad and I were watching TV. My brother was in bed. My mom was in the kitchen. We had one bedroom and I had to pass the kitchen and my brother's room to get to the bathroom. My brother was sitting up in bed and he was crying. I tried to console him because I didn't want to get him in trouble for not sleeping. He whispered to me a man was looking in his window. I looked out the window and to my horror I see a pair of yellow glowing eyes watching us. So I grabbed my brother up. I knew my dad was in the living room and he kept a gun on the kitchen counter. I yelled to my dad that some sicko was looking in the window at my brother. Just then I saw his whole face. It looked like a Neanderthal man with long brown hair and it looked terrifying. His face was at the bottom of the window. I saw this massive chest and abdomen. It must have been 9 feet tall. My dad burst out on the front porch with a gun in his hand and he fires several times. It looked at my dad for a moment then ran for the tree line. My dad then came in and my mother and brother were crying because of the sound of the 44 Magnum. My parents told me to go to bed and to take my brother with me. I overheard my parents talking. They didn't call the cops because they didn't know what it was. It was not human. My mother told my father tomorrow I want all the trees gone, not a single one taller than you can stay. He reluctantly agreed. He called in every friend and every favor and had seven acres removed by sundown on Saturday. I had two friends close in age. One lived a mile away and the other two miles away. The closest came down that Saturday morning and I asked him if he heard the gunshots the night before. I told him it was my dad. My mother came out and told me to stay out of the woods. She was going into town with my brother to buy curtains and blinds which was something we really didn't need before. But since this happened we put curtains up. After my mother pulled away we got our friends and I guess they basically pulled together their friends so they could go look. So we grabbed our guns and our machete. We knew the woods really well. We backtracked my yard and picked up on a trail. We spotted blood at the tree line. My father was washing away blood from the side of the mobile home and so we went back into the woods following the blood. As we walked we came across a crude shelter with the remains of what looked like trash. This thing was stealing trash and taking it to this little crude shelter. We followed the trails for hours. We heard a howl and a scream like no other we'd heard before. My father must have heard it and grabbed his buddies and they raced into the woods with their guns in hand. They looked terrified when we finally crossed paths. He said they saw the blood trail and asked what we found. We told them about the shelter and we took them where we'd been. We had been so keen on following the trail we had never noticed the carcasses of deer and dogs high in the trees. My father chopped down the shelter and urinated all over it. One of his friends said that they had to mark to take back our land. It sounded crazy but I looked up to this man and he seemed to know what he was talking about. 
The six of us made a pact that it was a bear and to never talk about it again. As we moved back to our house we heard the howl again and it was mad. It sounded closer this time. Our fathers told us to run. The three of them were side by side firing at something. Of course, we didn't go far. Whatever it was died that afternoon. My dad told me to get a few shovels and be quick about it. We didn't want anyone to see a thing. I was the only one they let approach it because I had already seen it through the window. We took turns digging the hole. It was a big foot, nine feet or taller and so wide. I could not jump over it. It was a male. His face was all shot up, but its upper lip was five inches from the base of his nose to the opening. Its arms were as big as my dad's legs. His fingers were as wide as coke cans. Its feet were longer than the barrel of my shotgun. We buried it and left for my house. Our mothers were waiting for us and frantically asked what it was. We said that it was a bear and it was injured so we put it down and buried it. We didn't want to get in trouble with the game warden. That's what we told him and I think my mother knew the truth but it was best not said. Back in 1993, my mom, older sister, and I were at the public storage in Hoffman Estates, Illinois putting some things into storage. It was in the evening but it was pretty lit up at the facility. Behind the storage was a big wooded area. There we saw a white grayish creature staring at us. We were shaken with fear. It was across the field so it was a little of a distance away. But even though it was that far away it was tall and manlike. My sister screamed so loud after her initial shock wore off and this thing turned around and leapt over the fence and landed on the other side on two feet and then ran into the woods. This fence was about six to eight feet high at least. So we knew this thing was not human. It was pretty scary. We told everyone about it. People joked of course but to us, it was no laughing matter. It scared us so much that my mom had the movers move all of my sister's stuff out of that storage. We were convinced that we saw some sort of Bigfoot. It was the weekend before Thanksgiving and Lee was camping in the Ozark National Forest in Arkansas trying to get a deer for Thanksgiving in the freezer. It was an annual tradition for Lee to venture into the same woods he hunted with his dad every year before he died. These woods were where his dad taught him to leave no trace, to respect the sacred place, and to always give, thanks when it gave up its gifts. Going without his dad this year didn't feel right, but his wife encouraged him to keep the tradition. Lee finished up his sandwich, cleaned up camp, grabbed his gear, and started walking into the woods. The leaves crunched under his feet and the sweet smell of forest decay and moist dirt was in the air. Reaching his favorite clearing alongside a creek didn't take too long. He set his pack down and started checking the game trails leading to the clearing from the forest deciding which way he would go next. Once he made up his mind, he returned to his pack, pulled out an apple, and left it on the rock in the center of the clearing before heading down the game trail. He remembered the first time he went hunting with his dad and saw him leave a pile of apples. It was always Arkansas black apples from their tree back at home his dad told him that when the forest gives you a gift it's only fitting to leave a gift as well. It felt mystical as a child but now that Lee was a grown man he believed that apples were like his dad's lucky pair of hunting underwear. His dad was very successful hunting deer, and always seemed to show up near him. So he decided to keep the tradition, at least the apple part. His dad took his lucky underwear to the grave. Lee started chuckling as he walked along the creek when he recalled the horrified look on the mortician's face when he handed her the lucky underwear they were patched with many pieces of fabric over the years, often flowery remnants of his sister's dresses. His dad may have been a mountain man but he was buried with roses on his rear end. His chuckle had turned to a laugh when suddenly a red fox ran past him and a rock landed on the ground in front of him rolling forward on the ground. He gripped his rifle tighter as he turned around to confront whoever threw the rock. He couldn't see anyone nearby so he lifted his rifle to his shoulder and started looking in the direction the rock had come from through his scope. Near the entrance to the clearing, 
partially behind the large oak, was a large figure. A little scared but mostly angry Lee yelled hey at the figure. The figure stepped out from behind the tree and Lee realized what he was looking at. In his sight was a creature standing on two legs covered in shaggy brown hair. It was clearly a male and had broad massive shoulders that led to a head with tiny neck in between. He could see the creature's eyes blinking through the scope. He was sure he wasn't looking at a human, but he still asks why'd you do that? The creature bellowed a strange roar louder and different than any noise he had ever heard in these woods before. Lee's hands were shaking as he watched the creature through his scope. The thought came to his mind this is your chance. He tried to be a good provider for his family but there was usually more month left than paycheck. If he shot this creature he was guaranteed a payday. There had even been a TV show offering a huge bounty for just a little proof. A body would be worth more. They could replace his wife's death trap of a car, college savings for the kids, and fewer trips to the thrift store. Just one shot and they would finally have their heads above water. His father's reminders about only taking what you need whisper in his mind. Lee took a deep breath, whispered I need this aim center mass, and pulled the trigger. The creature grunted and screamed as it grabbed at its side. He could see the blood dripping between its fingers as it turned and ran. The creature wasn't running very fast but it maintained its distance from Lee. It crossed over a river and climbed up the limestone cliff running along the river, climbing into the mouth of a bluff shelter. Lee knew he would be at a disadvantage if he tried to climb up to the bluff shelter but he couldn't see into the shelter from his location on the ground. He backed up and watched the creature in the shelter through his scope. It was too far away to take a second shot so he stayed there observing the creature's actions. Lee could see the creature leaning against the side of the shelter taking deep breaths. If the creature died there the body would be safe. He had been watching for about 10 minutes through his scope when he noticed a grey figure at the creature's side. He could see grey arms moving as the wounded creature was gesturing toward the wound area. The grey figure put its hand down on the wound and the creature screamed in pain. Lee felt a twinge of guilt, feeling sorry for the pain the wounded creature was suffering. Oh God, why didn't I get a clean shot, he thought. The wounded creature sat down and put its back against the shelter wall. From the opposite side of the shelter, he saw another dark figure approach the wounded creature and fall to its knees. It rested its hands on the wounded one's legs. Its lips move as if talking. It stood back up and turned around as a small figure ran up to it. It leaned down to pick up the smaller figure and Lee could see pendulous breasts hanging. He realized this was a female, a mother. Lee lowered his gun trembling with the realization of what he had done. I shot the father. I may have killed this little one's father. Guilt washed over him. He would never do anything illegal to help his family financially but he couldn't shake the feeling that what he had done was akin to murder. This mother was picking up her child just like his wife picked up theirs. This mother appeared concerned about the wounded creature just like his wife would be. If they had no shaggy hair someone might even confuse them with humans. I'm a murderer. What was I thinking? He dropped to his knees. Lee looked back up through his scope and saw the wounded one standing up again. A mass of leaves where the wound was. The mother was cradling the young one's head on her shoulder. Both were looking down at him. Emotions overwhelmed him as tears ran down his face. He knew his dad was looking down on him too. He set his gun down and put his face in his hands. He was no better of a man than a poacher. He cried until the tears wouldn't come anymore then stood up. When he looked up at the bluff shelter there was nothing there. He lifted his rifle back up and looked through the scope. Nothing. He scanned the rest of the area along the limestone cliff and river but the family was gone. He lowered his gun and turned away walking back the way he came. He knew he had made one of the biggest mistakes of his life but he also couldn't shake the idea that this was just a bad dream. He walked back to the clearing where he had left the apple on the rock. Even from the clearing he could see the white flesh exposed against the deep red skin of the apple. A single bite was missing and there was a trail of blood near the rock. 
He walked out of the woods sick knowing that what had happened was real. Lee would return to these woods every year unarmed with a pile of Arkansas black apples and an apology. Wildlife would dart through the clearing past him but he refused to hunt at this location anymore. He had violated the trust his dad had built and he wanted to build it back for his own kids. Lee didn't know for certain if his dad knew about these creatures existing but Lee had a feeling he did. His dad's patchwork flowery lucky underwear would always be a mystery, but he finally understood the importance of his dad's gift of apples. One night, years ago, I was hanging out with my now ex-boyfriend. It was either November or December of 2019. We decided that night that we wanted to look at the stars. It was very cold out and probably around 1 AM, but that did never stop us from going outside. We put on extra layers, grabbed a blanket, and laid out to look at the stars. Most of the night we were having fun, laughing, and talking. There was one point where our conversation got very serious. He started explaining to me that he didn't believe in God. Or anything at all. He believes nothing will happen when we die. My response to that was I respect his beliefs but I believe in God. I know something will happen when we die. I've witnessed too many spiritual things in my life not to believe. I've always had a knowing that something more is out there. His only response was once he sees something he'll believe it. We were quiet for a while after that, but eventually continued talking about other things and having fun. That's when I saw something in the sky. What I saw was a massive pair of wings gliding directly above me. It was at least 18 to 20 feet. I couldn't make out a head, legs, or tail. Just a massive pair of wings. It was dark and hard to see but the wings had a subtle glow just enough for me to see it. It almost looked see-through but also glowing. It can't be for sure though. It was a shocking thing to see. I wasn't necessarily horrified, but I was in complete awe. I didn't feel anything negative. My ex wasn't paying attention at first. I shouted at him to look up. When he did, he immediately started panicking. He was swearing and freaking out. The pair of wings wasn't there for long. It just flew above us then above my house, and seemed to disappear or just fade into the darkness. As it was flying, it only flapped its wings once. So really it was gliding. My ex grabbed me and insisted we go inside. He was horrified. We didn't get much sleep that night. Eventually, the next day after calming down, we decided we wanted to go out at night again and see if anything else happens. There was a lot more that happened, I won't get into too much detail about. We saw strange UFOs and two big bright lights that appeared to be close to us. So bright that it was hard to see. That itself was very scary and unusual. But the strangest thing was the winged being thing. After this happened my perspective of life changed completely. There is so much out there that we don't know about. Not that it's related, but weird things started happening around the world too. Pandemic, Ukraine, Chinese spy balloon, and so much more. There is just so much happening. I have searched and talked to so many people to see if maybe they experienced something similar but I can't find much information. I do believe that maybe what I saw was an angel. Or could be an interdenominational being. I'm not sure. I don't think I'll ever know for sure. I've accepted that. Again, as unbelievable as it sounds, this is something real that has happened to me, and my ex-boyfriend. 